0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Service. I'm Brian Levinson. I created this podcast because I love to utilize the power of story to find out how people have developed their mindset for performance. We talk with CEOs, coaches, athletes, actors, really anybody who considers himself to be a performer to gain a better understanding and perspective on how these people see the world. The goal is to dig deep with each person and find out about their mindset. We'll learn about their successes, their failures, The goal is to uncover great pieces of information that hopefully can help you as you continue to create your own journey. We'll talk with people at the beginning of their journey, those in the heart of their career, and those who are able to reflect back on the career that they've had. We are all a compilation of the stories that we hear and the stories that we tell ourselves. So as you listen, it's important to think about how these themes relate to your journey as you go beyond the surface with yourself as well. Today I go beyond the surface with professional football player, kicker Brad Craddock. Brad is someone who I got to know last year when he was kicking at University of Maryland and I was working with the football team. I got to meet Brad pretty quickly as he was involved in their leadership council and I was doing a workshop on their leadership council before I worked with the rest of the team. And I was really stunned right from the get-go about the impact that Brad had on not just the special teams unit but the entire team. It was clear that his voice mattered, and he had the respect of a lot of his teammates. That was probably in part because of the success that he did have on the field. He was coming off a season where he was awarded the best kicker in the country, where he won the Luke Rosa Award for place kickers. So Brad had a really successful junior year, which he'll talk about in our conversation. And when I got to him, he was a senior, and you could tell that Brad wanted to make an impact not just on himself, but on the rest of the team as well. He's an impressive guy. He is someone that cares a lot about the mental game, which you will hear in our conversation. So he had a really good perspective and a good pulse of the team. So the two of us chatted often. Uh, It would be on the practice field. It would be in the locker room. I learned a ton from Brad during my year with Maryland. He also had a lot of success. Uh, He kicked a 57-yard field goal against Ohio State, which is the longest field goal in Maryland Terrapin history. He also had the most consecutive field goals in the history of Maryland and the entire Big Ten Conference, where he hit 24 field goals in a row. And he is someone who not just has success on the field, but also off of it. He treats people the right way. Pretty much when he sets his mind to doing something, he's going to do it well. And you'll hear that from Brad during our conference, conversation today. So I'm really excited to present to you, Brad Craddock. So Brad, if, if you could start us out, I know you've got an interesting story because it started in Australia, and I've done this podcast now with a lot of people, and I think they've all been Americans. So why don't you start, tell us about growing up in Australia and uh, your childhood, and, and we'll go from there.
1: No worries. Well, I spent my first 20 years in Australia, so um, my whole family lives there and grew up playing Australian rules football, uh, which isn't rugby, as every American tries to ask me. Uh, What's, yeah, the, like, what's the
0: difference? What's the difference? Clarify that for for us ignorant Americans.
1: Uh, well, it's actually a com- it's a completely different sport. So there's no throwing allowed. Uh, pretty much, punt past the ball to each other uh, like a volleyball serve. You hold it in one hand and you punch it with the other. You're allowed to do that for short passes, and uh, it's about it. You have to watch it. Really, it's very hard to explain. But it, everyone's all over the field. There's no line of scrimmage, and you score by kicking it between two uprights.
0: And where you grew up, was that the most popular sport?
1: Yeah, so that and then cricket uh, in the summer. So rugby's big up north in Australia and then Australian rules football's big down south. So, um, Yeah, so I grew up playing that, playing tennis, and uh, ended up playing pretty high-level tennis. I I coached tennis for five years and then played high-level football, but got injured, uh, broke my arm three years in a row, which was a pretty big setback in the sense of trying to play at a higher level. Time Um, out,
0: time out, broke your arm three years in a row. You just sort of like gloss over that. That, that's not, that doesn't sound fun.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. It wasn't the best. So I, um, I did, I had a small fracture in my right arm the first year, uh, which wasn't too bad, but took me out for the rest of the season. Um, that was, I was around 13 then, and then my second year, I snapped my right arm really bad, like bones sticking out sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, so I guess on the mental side, that was pretty hard coming back from that one, um, learning to get hit again and trusting myself to be able to fall and stuff like that.
0: And you're are you also playing tennis at the same time? So did that also take you out for tennis?
1: Yeah, it took me out for tennis, and... Tennis was more of a summer sport, so um, I'd normally break my arm at the beginning of the season. <laughs> so by the time it got to the end of the season, I was ready again to play tennis, so it didn't affect tennis a ton.
0: So there's a good cycle of play football, break your arm, play tennis, realize maybe tennis is a uh, is is what your body's meant to do. I don't know. The cycle continues. Curious about tennis. When did you start playing tennis?
1: I uh, played tennis... Uh, since I was year two, so I would have been like seven or eight. I uh, I came home and told my mum I wanted to play cricket and she bought me a tennis racket the next day. So
0: Intentionally or accidentally?
1: Oh, intentionally. She hates cricket. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to sit there and watch cricket all day. So I, uh, I'd i play anything when I was young. So um, she knew if she got me a racket, then I'd just play tennis you just
0: figured you wanted to play with a stick and a ball and and there you go there's your stick there's your ball go go hit it
1: (laughs) so i love tennis it was good i love team sports are definitely um more rewarding uh in the sense of being around people and everything uh but tennis was very good at teaching me how to uh be in control of everything you can sort of get lost in a team um and rely on other people but tennis is it's up to you if you lose it's your fault um if you play bad it's on you so um it was actually really good for me i think in in both sense uh of the of sports and uh really helped me for uh coming over to america that's for sure
0: it's interesting because uh tennis is a sport that i think is great for young people to play because of what you just said number one Uh, you learn how to be on an island and having to sort of control what you can control and uh, having to deal with failure or success and not making excuses other than, you know, what you do. And maybe the other guy calls a bad call, but for the most part, you know, if you lose, you lost. And if you won, you won. Uh, The other thing that I think it's so useful for, which I'm sure you can relate to is footwork. Uh, You're, you know, you're, you're constantly moving your feet. You have to move them in tight spaces Dirk Nowitzki, growing up, played tennis. That was his first sport and his love. And he still plays tennis. And you know, as he grew, I'm sure his footwork in tennis helped him as a seven-footer, uh, whereas a lot of other seven-footers aren't used to moving their feet like that. Uh, so I think tennis, and then I think you hit on something, too, where if you can combine that individual sport like tennis uh, with a sport like soccer, basketball, we don't have Australian rules football, um, but with a, a team sport where you learn how to integrate into a role and integrate on what it, what it means to be part of something bigger than yourself and the leadership and um, the idea that sometimes you can't control the outcome um, because I think life isn't necessarily like tennis uh, but it also isn't necessarily like a, a team sport. It's sort of a combination of the two in that you can control certain things but at the end of the day that the outcome may be out of your control. So I love that blend and I think golf doesn't necessarily give you the, the footwork but it gives you like some of the individual island stuff. Uh, I work with a lot of wrestlers. Uh, wrestling's another sport that I think when when people wrestle at a young age, they learn how to be on an island, uh, what it's like to lose, and it be their fault. Uh, I think really good life lessons. So I, I'd imagine that blend for you uh, was was a nice blend, other than breaking your arm every year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I um, I loved it. It was. It was good.
0: Were mom and dad athletes?
1: Um. No not really. Uh mum mum played netball when she was growing up, dad played football when he was growing up. Um, but they didn't play at, at high levels or anything and then um, my mum's side of the family, there's a lot of athletes down her side, so
0: Australian uh, rules football or something else?
1: Uh cricket. Uh so That's why
0: she didn't that's why she didn't want to do
1: it. Pretty much. So her dad played cricket, so cricket's a all day thing, like you start at seven, you finish at six o'clock at night. It's
0: like (laughs) baseball on steroids.
1: Exactly. So, uh, yeah, she just wasn't, she didn't really want it. So fair enough too. Um, so yeah, I did that all the way up to, um, I was 18, 19. Uh, I thought I was going to come over to America and play college tennis. And I, I was playing football. I was back playing football again and, uh, I sort of was getting over the fact that I broke my arm so many times, and started playing a bit better, and uh, did an assignment, there was a couple of guys in the NFL that had played Australian rules football professionally, and then had gone over to be punters, so I did an assignment on the difference between kicking in American football, and kicking in Australian football, and, uh, well, punting, and did that for a year 12 assignment, and doing that I ended up getting one of my references which was who taught me how to punt in Australia he said hey I'm coming to where you live in two weeks do you want to have a kick so I did and he was like yeah you can do it so started punting just in the park um, just me and uh, an ex pro Australian footballer and he helped me taught me a lot he was trying to make the NFL at the time and unfortunately didn't get a crack and he pretty much just mentored me and taught me how to play. So uh, we'd go out there twice a week and I'd go out once by myself and have a kick of the footy and ended up having a guy come from America and seeing me punt and he ranked me high on all the punting lists and went over to Vegas and kicked it one of his camps and did all right there. So did that and then for about six or seven months stayed up to three o'clock in the morning Calling coaches and emailing, so I called every, I called and emailed every Division One school in the country, and I lost count how many times until someone answered the phone and talked to me. So, it's pretty much how it went.
0: I want to go back a little bit. You have siblings. What was upbringing like uh, in your house?
1: Yeah, I got two sisters. They're awesome. Um, both older. Uh, the oldest is turning thirty this year. <laughs> And, um, oh, no, she just, oh, no, she just turned 30. Like, you're
0: laughing like 30 is some kind of really old thing, and you're now making me super depressed. But but go, um, go on.
1: You know, when you're younger and it's your sister, so it's funny. So she's she's 30. She has two kids and one on the way, um, married to uh, Chris, who's awesome. And then my other sister, she's 27, and she just got married a couple of years ago, no kids yet. We're we're pushing for it, and um, yeah, so th- they all played netball growing up.
0: Uh, What's netball? Because that's the second time you mentioned that being in your family, and, and I don't I don't know about netball.
1: Oh, well, it's like it's real big. It's probably the biggest girl sport in Australia. Um, it's basketball without a backboard, uh, and you're not allowed to bounce the ball, and you're not so you're not allowed to walk with the ball. So you catch the ball, you stop, you pass. And then you have a smaller hoop and you use like a soccer ball.
0: So kinda of like ultimate frisbee but with a ball. That sound accurate?
1: Ultimate frisbee with a ball and with a hoop. Got it. No yeah. back ball.
0: Okay, cool. So they were both into that. Mom mom did that. Yeah. Um so so there's some athleticism. Were you growing up playing netball with them or is it very gender specific?
1: Uh it is. As you get older there's a lot of um like social teams that are, like, mixed. Uh, but there's not many just playing guys' teams. Uh, it's mostly just girls who play netball, but um, I'd go out and shoot the ball with them and stuff, but no, I never really played.
0: Uh, and being the youngest with two older sisters, what did? how did that shape you? How did that impact you uh, in your life?
1: Um, I used to always tell them, I wanted a brother to, like, I could wrestle and beat up and stuff like that and um, teach me to be tougher and and stuff, but no, they were, they were good. Um,
0: It's not like you weren't breaking your arms playing Australian rugby. I think you got the, uh, like, I'm one of three boys, I'm the middle. Uh, Yeah, we beat the crap out of each other all the time, but... You know, I think you got it. I think I think you got it from uh, Australian Rules Football. I think I think they covered it for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it was alright. But uh, no, in the sense of sport, it's probably like, especially growing up, they didn't really have much to do with, um, with me playing anything. Mum and Dad came to every game and did everything like they did with all us kids. Uh, but the girls sort of sort of didn't. I'm twelve and my oldest is eighteen. She sort of started doing her own thing at that point and uh, not really around. Uh, my other sister, middle one, she came, she would come maybe once a year to one game, uh, but they they weren't uh, really involved that much in, in my sport. Uh, probably more involved now that I'm over here and um, it's kind of what I'm doing. So every time I talk to them, we, we talk a lot about it, but that's pretty much, it's uh, pretty much it. They didn't, they, there wasn't a big part of our um, communication. Like, I get, I, me and my sisters are, are great. I get on with them so well and we do so much together, but um, it was never really evolved around sport.
0: And you sort of gently mentioned, like, I was planning to play tennis in America and, and go play college tennis. So, two thoughts there. One, Uh, I guess you are pretty good at tennis if that thought was there. And then number two, why was that in your mind, like I want to go to the United States for college?
1: i actually not sure, (laughs) if I'm honest with you. I uh, I had a lot of friends that played tennis and came over here and played tennis. And uh, they loved it. They had a great time. And uh, I always was fascinated with America in the sense of I just felt like I should go there. I don't, I'm not really sure why. And I really like felt called to come to America. So I, that's sort of.
0: Then you saw, you saw a tennis because that's what you knew that people were were going and doing. So you're like, was, was college driving the tennis or was tennis? Just what you love to do, and you're like, oh, if I can use tennis to get into college in America, like what was your mindset around that?
1: Yeah, more going to America was my drive. So as soon as I got the opportunity to kick, I was like, Yes. <laughs> Cause the thought of hitting six hours of tennis balls every day <laughs> just wasn't <laughs> wasn't that exciting for me, actually. Um I would have loved it because I love competing, but uh Yeah, man, tennis is – well, kicking is very repetitive, so I can't say tennis is less repetitive than kicking, but it's just a lot of doing – it takes a lot of time to get good at tennis and a a lot of of effort and uh, so much running.
0: I'm reading Andre Agassi's book right now. Have you read that?
1: Um, I've actually read parts of it uh, in different areas, but I've never actually read the whole book.
0: Woo, it's deep. It's dark. It's extremely well written. Uh, it's extremely complex. Throughout the book, he talks about him hating tennis. Um, you know, I think his dad, and I don't think his dad forced him into playing tennis at a very young age, and was very hard on him and abusive. And it's just a, a dark story. But it's just interesting to hear sort of his hate, hate relationship, but also with a pinch of love uh, with that sport. And you're right. I think the people don't realize how hard it is on the body. Uh, a sport like tennis, um, same with like a sport like soccer or um, you know football, the rest of the world calls it uh, you don 't realize like your legs and how much you know uh, effort goes into toning the body and training the body and tennis is just a grueling grueling on the body, uh, and people really don 't realize that and to your point there 's a lot of monotony that goes into the stroke and constantly hitting balls and um, you know in, in some ways can be a a boring sport um, and I know you play a little golf. But I think golf in, in a similar sense, like people only see like the masters and think like, oh, it's this glorious thing. And they don't realize like the hip pain or the back pain, or I mean, we see it with Tiger right now and the knee pain. Um, but the monotony that also goes into getting good at that sport uh, is what a lot of people would call a grind. Um, and, and we'll talk about you as a kicker as well. And I think it'll be interesting to get your perspective on it. Um, but so you end up calling, 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 Going to Vegas, doing pretty well there as a punter. Uh, did you kick at all then, or was it just punting?
1: I kicked, but uh, you can count how many times I'd kicked on both hands. I, I, at Vegas, I kicked just because, hey, why not? Like all the all the guys were there, I was like, yeah, I'll have a kick. So I could always kick the ball a long way in the sense of I'd go back to fifty-five yards and could kick the distance easy. It was just whether or not it went straight or not. So, and I know uh, you
0: told me when. When you were at Maryland, which we'll get to, uh, you said growing up in Australia, we have a ball on our foot at all times, whereas here we're really using our hands for a lot of different things. And, you know, I would imagine maybe up north, to your point, like maybe they're used to playing rugby and some other sports in Australia. Uh, but where you were, was that was that what it was? Is it, are most of the good punters and kickers from Australia coming from the south? Or uh, is there any correlation there?
1: Yeah, so a lot of them, See, there's guys up north that play Australian football. It'll be all the punters come from Australian football. You won't really get a rugby guy that's a putter. But yeah, so I grow up and Doug gives me a footy and I go out in the back and I kick it with him when I'm five. And then over here, everyone goes out there just throwing a ball at five. So just think of the time between five and ten years old where you guys, none of you, you might punt the ball once because you're like, hey, look, I can kick a ball.
0: A soccer ball, maybe.
1: Yeah, like I've, I've hit a ball a million times by that point. So I'm five years ahead of everyone. So when it comes to getting to a higher level at this point in our life, if I'm five years ahead of you, it's, it's huge. Just the motor mechanics and stuff like that. So um, that's why you see there's like 50 Australians over here now putting in, in college football. It's they just take it over it 's crazy
0: it's so interesting because so I remember my high school football team. we had a really good kicker, like you can make forty five year old uh, forty five yard kicks fifty yard kicks. He ended up I think playing at dartmouth um, uh or or some school i don 't know if it was Division one or what it was um, but we'd play against other teams that would always go for two because they literally did not have anybody on their team who could kick extra points and yeah. you know to your point like we we do we grew up. M- historically we grew up playing catch with the baseball or, you know, now like I'm in Maryland, people grow up throwing a lacrosse ball or, um, they're using their hands or shooting basketball hoops. Uh, and sure there's soccer. Like I grew up playing soccer, but you're right. We don't, we grew up handling the soccer ball. We don't grow up hunting the soccer ball unless we're a goalie. And a lot of times the goalies in soccer are just not necessarily the best kids that are out, you know, playing. That's a, a knock on my younger brother who had to play soccer goalie, and and we have arguments about who the best athlete was in our family. But um, yeah, so for you, you're literally out there kicking, kicking that ball around, and not just kicking, but punting, right? Yeah. Like you're you're doing the motion of of upward kicking. Whereas maybe maybe kids in Argentina or Brazil uh, or heavy soccer places like England uh, or France aren't necessarily even punting. Uh, as much as you are in Australia, it, or what you need to be a good field goal kicker.
1: i look at it this way. If you have our best athletes are punting the ball all the time. Your best athletes aren't. The ones that want to then play end up playing the position, and maybe perhaps they're good at it. But look at guys like LeBron James and guys like that. Imagine if at five years old you gave him a football and told him to kick it. How good he would be at that 20 years later and it's just your your best athletes are um physically just so good yeah um
0: you know why that is i think well there's a a, there's a lot of reasons why but we're so diverse like we have we have every type of person uh from everywhere in the world there's a really interesting book called the sports gene Uh, where they look at genetics all around the world and why, like, the best sprinters are from Jamaica, the best long-distance runners are from Kenya, uh, the best hockey players are from Canada, you know, and and sure, there's a nature, but – I mean, there's a nurture component, but there's also a nature component. And when you blend the nature and nurture, like in America, we do do a good job of nurturing athletes because sports is such a big part of our culture. Uh, but there's, there's also different body types and prototypes that fit different sports. And oh, by the way, we're 300 million people and we're a big big freaking country, as opposed to Australia, which size-wise is, is massive, but there's only, what, 20 million people in Australia? Um, so, you know, the, the numbers are, are different as well. But it's it's really interesting. And I, I don't think we think about that. And I'll be curious to see in the next 10 years, as more of your punters uh, and kickers go back and maybe mentor young kids and maybe do camps, will there really be a takeover in the next 10, 20 years in, in football?
1: Yeah. And honestly, I think there will be because you look. There's two Australians, two, two punting in the NFL right now out of 32 teams, and then you've got Cam Johnson coming out of Ohio State this year that'll probably end up somewhere as well. So you're gonna have you're gonna have three guys in the last. There's been six or seven of us already, and it's just slowly just each year one more is coming in, and it's 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 just funny how it works.
0: All right, so take, me, so take me to those 3 a.m. calls, those emails, uh, just trying to make your way over here. And, and how, how did that end up working out and, and finally coming in your favor?
1: Sure. So I, uh, I got back from uh, my camps in Vegas in uh, January um, before my freshman year. And I'd made calls since about November, but hadn't really pushed it until I'd done that camp. And then, yeah, I just sat down with a list, spreadsheet, found every school, uh, went through the athletic directory, found every coach, found every special teams coach and every recruiting coordinator, their phone number, their email, put it all in a spreadsheet, and then one by one just went through. So I sent everyone my film and then followed up and called everyone and asked them if they'd seen my film and if they liked it. And uh, I looked at it. If they told me, no, we definitely don't have a spot here, then I just blacked out their, their name or the thing, never call them again. And uh, if they didn't say no, <laughs> they were still interested. So uh, there's a lot of guys like who were trying to be nice about it without saying no. So I kept calling them until they did. <laughs> so I uh, ended up calling Maryland for probably close to 50 times, I reckon. Maybe wow. like four. Uh, mostly because... One, I thought they needed a putter, and, and then two, uh, they they responded to me one time and seemed a little bit interested, but not not very, not enough for me to really push it as much as I did. And then stop, they wouldn't answer their phone, so I just kept leaving the messages until they did. So the recruiting coordinator... What was kept, the
0: message? Give me the message.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's easy. Hi, my name's Brad Craddock I'm a kicker putter from... Uh, south australia australia i just sent you through uh some putting film i was hoping you'd had a chance to review it and uh was wondering your position on whether or not you're looking for kicker or putter for the next season
0: amazing you you have that down like i if you called them 50 times so that you probably made a thousand of those calls and uh, i figured that that would come back to you pretty easily
1: yeah so i literally do that for every school and um, where
0: does that drive that determination, uh, come from? Is that parents? Is that self learned? Where does that come from?
1: Um, I think probably my, my parents in the sense of they always say you could do whatever you want to do. And, uh, I just knew I could do it, I guess.
0: Self belief.
1: Uh, yeah. I, uh, I went to these college camps and, uh, we competed against guys and I don't know. I felt very comfortable there. I still didn't really I wasn't very good still in the sense of being able to play in college but uh, the the height on my ball and, and the distance on my ball was was good enough when I hit a good one, so I think I finished high school and I didn't know what I was gonna do and this is what I was going to do. So, sort of when I decide to do something, I do it to, to kind of do it to the extreme. But I've got to decide that that's, that's what I want to do. It takes me a while to decide, but once I do that, I'm, I'm pretty locked down. So, um, this is what uh, probably not as much as I did, but this is how it got explained to me of how to get in. So, I just kept calling. Calling.
0: So, who eventually answers the phone and how do you end up knocking down that door and, and did anyone else also show you interest as well?
1: Uh, I had a couple, uh, Div two schools offered me, uh, coastal Carolina and a couple, couple other schools. I think they did one day. I'm not sure. Um, but it was funny cause I, I was calling Ryan Steinberg. who was our recruiting quarter at the moment. He's now at UConn with Ed again. Uh, he never answer. <laughs> so, he, he just, I think he got sick of me. Um, but I, my first, no one actually answered my phone at all. I, uh, I got an email back from Coach Powers, who's a special teams coach, and, uh, ended up calling him and talked to him for a while. And then he said, uh, we'll get you to talk to Coach Edsel, so talk to the head coach, and, uh, they sent me through an email the next day saying they were going to offer me a scholarship. So. <laughs> right.
0: I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's like, but you're 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 calling them. You're like doing whatever you can, and then it sounds like the stars align in, in some crazy way that they're like, all right, let's let's give them a chance." And you must have gone from like, "This isn't maybe this isn't going to happen," or did you ever? have doubt that it wasn't going to happen. Like, w- what was your mindset?
1: Well, I looked at it when I got offered. I had two weeks from when I got offered to when I it was too late to be offered to get into school. Um, and so, like, I said to mom, I was like, we we're just, like, praying about it and stuff. And we were just like, uh, I was like, if this is what God wants me to do, then he's going to offer me something this week. And then, um, yeah, that week it happened. And I was like, well, it's- what was meant to be, so, uh, yeah, was, is,
0: is religion something that, that has guided you, because that's the first time that you've mentioned religion, and what, what role does that play in your life?
1: Uh, I think that's huge, um, definitely, like, I felt like I was called to come to America, because I felt like that's what God wanted me to do, uh, with, we'll talk about a lot more when we get to, sort of kicking side of it, uh, it's definitely helped a lot, uh, in performing, but, uh, yeah I just that's where I felt called and that's what I felt like I was meant to be doing and I think that's what sort of drove me I guess in all of it because I don't know it just felt right you know what I mean so um when I got to the point of calling and doing it all, I was just like well if it at that point you're invested so much because you've trained but you're not in so if it doesn't work, you're like, okay well it's not meant to be it i'll I'll just move on and do whatever else. I'll do it Australia, but um, once I got that call, I was like, okay, that's definitely sort of the, where I'm called to be. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: And did you have any idea, like, where Maryland was? I mean, we're a pretty small state, and do like, you have any idea of it being close to D.C.? Or, like, you can't – there's no way.
1: Yeah, no chance. So, <laughs> I, uh, we call it uh, – wait, Maryland. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We, we don't really do the why.
1: <laughs> and um when they offered i had to pull out a map and and look and i was like oh dc's close that's nice um they didn't they tell to, you
0: about this the, but they didn't tell you about the winter snow though at all
1: it'll be anything so i get off oh uh, i get off the plane it's pretty hot and they, they were just laughing at me when i started talking about snow so <laughs> yeah so i got yeah so i got picked up in like may or so i was like really late in the recruiting process and Um, coach so I woke up had an email said they were going to offer me a scholarship so I walked into mum and dad's room and I was like hey I'm going to Maryland and then coach Bowers like yeah I'll bring you in for an official visit Uh, I was like coach I'm 24 hours away Um, if you're going to offer me a scholarship I'll sign right now (laughs) Like, and I'll see you on the first day. <laughs> That's amazing. That's <laughs> so, going to
0: be a pretty expensive official visit.
1: <laughs> yeah, very expensive. And then it would have sucked because I would have flown for two days, had one night there, and they had had to fly me home. Yeah. So, well,
0: uh, if if they hadn't have come through, would you have done the, like the division two, or would you have done pursued something else?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I uh, there was never a time in my head that I thought it wasn't going to happen. And um, so I wanted to play div one ball. That was my prereq. Um, I wanted to play div one, good academic school, Uh, and I never thought it wasn't going to happen. That might sound stupid, but it just there was it was never a thought in my head that I wasn't going. So
0: it doesn't sound stupid at all because when I I've done this this podcast with probably fifteen people, maybe twenty people, and most of those people will say like, yeah, like that's, it was going to happen. Like I was going to make it happen. There have been a, a few that, and, and this goes for a lot of my clients over the years. There are a few that say like, I just never like really thought that I'd be in this position and it just sort of happened. Uh, but a lot of people will say like, there wasn't really another option for me. Like I was just like, so all in on this. I've I've talked to like some people that are out in Los Angeles doing like acting uh, and pursuing a career out in Hollywood, and I think there's some similarities to that to the sports world, where it's cutthroat, it's hard, it's difficult. Um, but a lot of people, it's their dream, and you know, the t- people out there, all the people I talked to out there, are like, no, like this, I was gonna make it. Like there wasn't any sort of plan B in their mind.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that was me in the sense of coming. I was just like that. I just knew it was gonna happen. I didn't think I'd ever kick a football in a game, uh, but that's a that's another story again. But I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought I was just meant to be. So I really thought that that's where God called me to go. So,
0: so you get to Maryland and talk to me about freshman year.
1: Oh, freshman year was rough. So I uh, I landed a week before training camp, and. uh, got food poisoning really bad, me and my dad, so dad came with me, so he ended up collapsing, collapsing in Subway way. Wow. Him. I thought he died, and then I was like throwing up blood, so I lost like 10 pounds or something, and then went straight into camp, so dad went home, and I went into camp, and I was lucky in the sense I played Australian football because it's very uh, cardio based, so we're doing all the conditioning runs and everything and I just ate it. Like it was easy. Uh, but if I didn't have that, if I was in <laughs> the shape I'm in now, <laughs> and had to do all that. I would have been in a little bit of trouble. So um,
0: football shape versus Australian rules, football shape are two different things is what you're telling me.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> the difference between running like eight mile a game to like 20 meters. So uh, yeah, a little bit different. So, yeah, camp was camp was rough, and then our kicker pulled his hip, had surgery on it, came back and pulled it again. So he uh, he was done. And uh, the coach came up to me. He's like, "We need you to kick," and I'd never kicked before. So it's really funny if you go back and watch my film from freshman year and and you look at the technique, and it's just it's just terrible. But I, um, there's some Technique is huge, and and as you get higher up in um in sport, it obviously it's crucial. But you could be pretty effective with a bad technique, if if you know sort of what what you want to accomplish. So, for me, I've kicked balls my whole life. All I have to do is kick the ball straight. Uh, I was fine in the sense of when there's not much pressure. Um, I'll just I won't hit a good ball, but it'll go straight and. And I made kicks. I was I went ten of sixteen my my freshman year, which wasn't wasn't good from a kicking standpoint.
0: And you're punting as well?
1: No, I I didn't punt. So, um, I got in and and the coach said to me, he's like, I don't want to burn out your legs. you just got to do the one. So, I was pretty not. I wasn't very happy my freshman year. Uh, i would be training two years to punt, and then they switched me to kicker. But in hindsight, very happy. So uh it's funny how things work out and yeah so freshman year i was doing okay it's funny I'd, I'd hit like a 50 yard and then i'd miss an extra point uh found the short ones i my stats are way better from outside 35 than inside 35 it's it was crazy um,
0: any idea why
1: i didn't feel the pressure of hitting a long one uh like you have a 50 yard field goal, you're a freshman in college, and you miss it, and people are like, yeah, it was a 50 yard field goal. So I made all that, <laughs> but then when it got to um, the short ones, I would I would aim like I wouldn't trust my technique, which I didn't have, which is why I didn't trust it, <laughs> and I would I'd pull the ball left every time. So I'd just wrap my foot around it, just yank it, and uh, and where does up,
0: where does pressure come from for you?
1: Uh. The expectation you put on yourself um, is is pressure. I think. I think there's there's no such thing as pressure in um, in the sense of what you what you put on it. So if it doesn't mean anything to you, you won't really feel pressure in it because it, it doesn't matter if if you fail or, or the outcome in it. Uh, if you if you want it badly, if it's something that truly means a lot to you, then the pressure will feel—you'll feel more pressure. You'll, you, all your emotions, your adrenaline, all of that will, will sort of kick in. Your fight or flight stuff will kick in because, um, it's something that defines who you are as a person and what you do. And, uh, yeah, that's it. So, that.
0: so I love that, and now you're now you're getting into my world, right? And So for me, I think you hit the nail on the head. It comes from your own expectations that you put on yourself. However, often we think of pressure as the outside world putting expectations on us. But I think you hit the nail on the head. It comes from the inside out and not the outside in. Now, I think you also hit on something like we might feel pressure, like have a physical response or cognitively have a thought of pressure. Those are just thoughts and feelings like like I always talk about it. It's like if you go home at night and your girlfriend was watching the Kardashians and you turn on the TV and the Kardashians are on, you might feel a certain way about the Kardashians and that TV show. That's, yeah. that's the input, all right? But the output is your ability to change the channel. And the self-dialogue that we have with ourselves, the ability to change the story, to shift, to interpret the feelings or thoughts or the TV show – and then change the channel that 's where we do have some choice, and that's where we do have free will so like I, I think it's so important because I think stress and pressure are two separate things: stress can kill somebody, stress is a heart attack stress is is really unhealthy, but you're right pressure if it's the expectations we're putting on ourselves, then we need to also interpret those expectations and make sure that those expectations are helpful and not harmful and the idea of fight or flight like you know, are we going to, are we going to take those expectations and and, and that pressure and then fight? Or are we going to run away? And that interpretation, like I always say, I think interpretation is the most important skill a person can have because we're going to have feelings of tension. Uh, we're going to have thoughts of doubt, but they're just thoughts and feelings. And if we can learn to accept them and then shift the interpretation and then put out a different show and change the channel, then we can handle that pressure.
1: Absolutely. So, I, um, yeah.
0: So, so, all right. So, freshman year, you do you do okay, but you're sort of lear- – you're still learning how to kick. You're learning the technique. Did anyone help you your freshman year learn, or were you pretty much on an island trying to figure it out?
1: I was, yeah, just figuring it out myself. So, I got to, like, six games in, and I had a game-winning field goal, 33-yard and left, uh, left middle. And I hit the left upright, missed it. And, uh, that sort of, like, uh, that sort of hit me pretty bad. Because before, it, it, I cared about it before, in the sense of, like, I, I, what I was doing. Like, I was trying really hard. But when you become responsible for your team losing, um, that's another aspect altogether. So, after that, I really struggled the rest of the year. I was, I didn't do well, um lost a lot of weight really struggled actually um and then went home at the end of that year and lost dealing-
0: a lot of weight and and struggled mentally like struggled like dealing with the emotion of of carrying that load
1: uh yeah a bit of everything so um ended up going home and and didn't want to come back so i, I was pretty close to not coming back after my freshman year um and yeah, it was just I I didn't have the so there's there's a lot there's the there's obviously the mental part of the game, which actually I I think even my freshman year wasn't too bad. Uh, I understood I understood what needed to be accomplished and how I needed to go about things. The thing that really wasn't there was my technique and uh, the physical ability to repeat something over and over and over again. Um, now, obviously, if you can do something once, if your mental game is completely great, you should be able to repeat it, uh, but my technique, my best kick went left. I had to control my ball, so when I when I blocked everything out and just let it go, my ball went left, so it was a constant battle in my head thinking of what I had to do and, and not a reaction of trusting my body, uh, which was... Looking back on it now, it's very easy to identify and know that w- that was my trouble. Uh, at the time, it, was, it wasn't it that easy to tell. So
0: You hit on, Brad, you hit on something that I I just want to pull on and tug on, which is people say if a guy misses a free throw, oh, it's all mental. Or a golfer, oh, th- it's all mental. It, it's never all mental. Just like it's never all technique. And just like it's never all physical. So if there's three different elements, like there's the physical, like, what kind of condition we're in. Uh, like if you have a sprained ankle, like that's going to affect you as a kicker, I'm assuming. Um, there's the physical component, there's the mental component, and then there's the technique. And you're right. If the technique isn't sound or isn't consistent, then the mental is going to falter. Uh, if the mental isn't consistent and isn't strong, then maybe some of the technique will falter, but they all work together, uh, to make the person look, if, if, If we're not in great shape, like we can get away with being not in great shape, but that might impact your technique a little bit. So they all go together. And I, I always, I always say to someone, I'm like, it's never all mental. It's never all physical. It's never all technical because you're right. Like you said, I, I didn't have the greatest technique my freshman year, but maybe I was really mentally strong and in great shape because of Australian rules football. So maybe I could overcome some of the lapses in technique. Uh, but I call it filling the buckets. Like, we just want to fill all of those buckets to give ourselves the best opportunity to be successful. And that's all it is. We're just trying to fill buckets.
1: Absolutely. So I, um, so I identified that my technique sucked Yeah. <laughs> my freshman year. I um... I said, I watched a – it was Cl- uh, Clemson versus LSU when I went home. It was a bowl game. And uh, the Clemson kicker, he had like a 40-yard field goal to win the game. And he, he did it and he made it. I was like, well, that's what I want. So I was like, no, like I'm going to do it. So, so had- at
0: that point you realize like the pain of missing the 33-yarder was eating at you. But there's a shift now to say like I also – I want to feel that 40-yard game-winning kick. Like, so you shift now away from the despair of causing your team a game to the potential joy of winning a game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I got that. realized my technique was bad, and I said to mom, I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'll do it properly. So I, um, I called a guy in San Diego who'd coached me once before on kicking um, when I was out in Vegas, called him talked to him for a while and i asked him if he could he was the best coach i knew so i was like can you coach me from from san diego i'll send you field and he said Nah, but i know a guy in maryland so he got me in touch with matt stover and um which was funny because he got me in touch with matt stover and i didn't look up matt stover which probably would have been a smart idea before i went out and kicked with him um so he got me in touch with him and said this guy's pretty good you should you should go uh work with him. So I went out there and I kicked with Matt this one day and Matt just technique wise just blew my mind. So
0: what parts? Cause, cause that's someone who doesn't kick. Like I was, I love spending time with you cause it was learning about the technique of it. And there were things that you taught me that I was like, I never even thought about that. Cause you just see him. Oh, I just kick a ball. So give me like two or three things that he, he shared with you and imparted with you from a technique standpoint.
1: Uh, he made everything so simple and I think that's what makes a coach extremely good is being able to relate to someone and breaking it down so a player that knows like someone that knows their technique or whatever whatever they're in if they can break it down into where absolutely every body part can be and where everything should be and how everything should move and then explain it to someone simply um, they become a very good coach because everything makes sense like a golf swing makes sense if someone explains it to you properly. Like, it's just common sense. And then, so kicking's honestly just walking straight, kicking the ball straight. That sounds stupid, but it's it is that simple. And if someone can explain how your body should move in that in that motion, then it's good. So, I think the biggest thing he taught me was it's not kicking a soccer ball; it's kicking a football. Uh, uh, he didn't say it like this, but to me, a soccer ball is round. So, if you hit it hard on any part of the ball, it's going to go well because it's the same the whole way around the ball. Whereas a football, is more like a stick. If you hit it in the right spot, it'll turn end over end. If you hit the ball on the side, it's just going to spiral and go left or spiral and go right. So, depending on how you hit the ball, the ball spins differently. A soccer ball, yeah, you can spin a ball if you're a good soccer player and you can, and you can move it and stuff like that, but... A football, there's literally one place to kick it. If you hit it there, it'll go straight. So
0: impact of of where you need to hit, where your foot needs to impact the ball really matters.
1: Yeah, and then how you get to the ball. So uh, not opening up your hips. It's just uh, keeping everything straight. (laughs) It's it's really simple, like walking straight at the football, making your hips stay straight, making your knees stay straight. Uh, Just keeping your foot out, locked, so that when you hit the ball, it's not floppy. And, like, you see those balls that come off kind of, like, wobbly and weird. It's like their foot's just hitting the ball, and it's not a solid – like a golf club. It's like a floppy golf club. You're not going to hit a good ball.
0: And for those that don't know about Matt Stover, just give, like, a 10-second, 20-second bio on on him.
1: Uh, Got drafted to Cleveland Browns, played a few years there. When they moved to Baltimore, played at Baltimore. So – Spent 19 years in the league, uh, sixth leading scorer uh, in the NFL and very good technician uh, and very good at what he did. So I uh, ended up having to work out with him. He he taught me a lot of uh, how to get through the ball, how not to miss left, which was my biggest problem, like I said before. And uh, Yeah, I remember calling mom afterwards and just be like, this guy's a genius. And she's like, well, yeah, he played for 20 years. He's probably pretty good. So... It was funny, even when we we're out there, he's like, If you ever seen me kick and I'm like, No, I haven't, like, I don't know who you are and he's just laughing at me at the time and looking back on it, I think it was pretty funny,
0: but But I, I love this story because you are sitting at your couch at home, you know, sort of, woe is me, it's the end of the world, like I maybe I don't want to go back and then something shifts where you, you see something and there's a moment there that inspires you. And then you 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 combine your motivation with with this sort of drive and desire to be good at something because if you put your mind to it, let's be good at it. And now you, whether you consciously did or sub, or subconsciously did it, you're now working with one of the best kickers of all time and you are putting the time in to get a mentor, to have someone really teach you the technique and let's go full force. So what's, what's sophomore year like for you?
1: Uh, a lot better. So I, um, it, it's how I looked at it. I found, I found, Someone that is the best at what they can do, or the best at what they can do that I can find, and that's that's what I told Mum I'd do when I when I left. So I got I got the best coach, and he ended up being a great mental coach as well because he would played so long. Um, he helped me a lot with my mental game as well, which was great. So I sort of got both in one, which was which was great. And he's he's a really strong Christian, a really good uh, good man, and, and a good role model and in all things not just not just kicking so um it was finding a mentor for me that that could mentor me in and, and whenever i needed someone to call it was i could just call him and, and chat with him so yeah he was great so went into sophomore year had a better year i um i went 21 and 23 84 uh, percent had a kicked pretty well uh Missed one short kick, but that was about it. All the rest were, like, 50 yarders. Uh, missed a 35-yarder left hash against uh, Wake Forest. Um, and that was – it was a mental mental lapse that allowed a bad technical flaw.
0: Tell to, me about it.
1: Uh, so I'm on the left hash. So naturally uh, – when you take your steps in kicking, right, you step back, you take a right angle. So every ball is a straight kick. Just if you're on the left hash, you're not kicking the ball right, you're still kicking the ball straight. Uh, but when I'm on the left hash, my mental game, my, my mental kick is a dead straight ball. And I, when I line up, I always feel like I'm lined up really far to the right. And uh, that's, just, that's just me, that's who I am. Uh, and I just need to tell myself to, trust my line and walk straight and kick the ball straight. Uh, Anyway, I got back there. It just fell off. Like I just, you know, when you just, you just feel in the wrong position. Uh, And my mental thought wasn't go straight. It was go slow. Uh, Mm. Go slow allows my hip to rotate more uh, because everything stays on top of, I stay very uh, condensed. So it allows my leg to swing through. Um, and about halfway into my step, realized I told myself the wrong dig, and you tried correct halfway through a swing.
0: So you <laughs> like, told yourself go slow instead of go straight. Is that what
1: yeah. you did? Oh or, yeah, or walk straight or or swing your left arm. So your left arm's a counterbalance to your right leg. So there was there was a few things. Now at the time, it, I should have told myself swing my left arm because technique-wise, that was the problem I was having at that time uh, that made my ball go left. So. It should have been swing my left arm. That should have been my swing thought. Uh, But my swing thought was go slow. And uh, I took my first step and realized no wrong one. (laughs) But then I think then I've got five thoughts in my head and and I've made a mistake, right? Uh, And I go up. So your body weight should stay straight through a ball. Everything should be really smooth. And I went up with my head. And came down really quick. And obviously if your momentum's going down, your foot's going down, so I hit the ground first. And I nearly cracked it. I oh, was so close. I missed left by like a couple inches. And I tried to force my hip down my line as much as I could, but my toe I've hit the ground and my toe's flicked out. So I've hit caught the side of the ball and I've wrapped it, I've gone left. And missed a 35 yard or so. I came off and Oh, so you're just so frustrated at yourself because you're like you're an idiot like <laughs> like that you can hit a good ball and miss and be like okay but when you when you have a um, when you make a mistake before you even start you missed the kick you've missed the kick before you swing your leg it's kind of annoying so um, was pretty cheesed off about that one but that that was sort of my bad miss on the year um, I then had a so that that was one mental lapse I had and then I had a I actually had a 43 yarder against Syracuse right hash at Maryland and I missed that one left as well. Oh yeah, I missed everything left. Um, and so in that one it was it was different. I blocked everything out in the sense of the crowd and everything it was fine and that took my first step and I didn't think about anything. <laughs> it was like the officer instead of thinking I blacked out I hit the ball. And my natural, whenever I not think about technique or have a sweet thought or, or have something, your natural tendency, what your body wants to do just takes over. So I swing straight left like a soccer player does. And I miss my, my I, oh, I probably missed my half the goals left again. And I'm running off the field. Like, what just happened? Like, I had no idea. It was like I blacked out completely, did not Don't really remember the kick very much. Go back and watch the kick. I'm like, where are you? That was so bad. (laughs) And yeah, so it was funny. I had one extreme in the sense that I I missed one because I thought too much of that. I had an extreme of the fact where I didn't think at all (laughs) and my body just took over.
0: So a couple of thoughts. Number one, the overthinking is is where choking usually happens. So uh, that's been studied, researched. Typically, it's an overload of information and our body tenses and we don't perform the act the way that we know how to. Um, but the second one is also worth noting because a lot of athletes will tell me, I'm at my best when I'm not thinking. And I always call bullshit on them because um, I think you're, you're thinking, you're just thinking about the right things for you. Uh, you can't play sports without thinking. You know, you know, it's, it's not going to work. And you're going to make a dumb decision or a dumb mistake, or you're going to miss something. And like, I work with a lot of basketball teams and basketball players, and those are the mistakes that a lot of times a player will come off and the coach will be like, what were you thinking? And they'll be like, well, I don't know. And cause they weren't right. Cause they, they weren't at all. So the idea is, is I think people think it's, Oh, I just don't want to think. No, it's about just directing your attention to action rather than in your mind uh, and the clutter that can come with the, the mind. So, oftentimes it's about action items rather than all the other stuff that can come in, whether it's the crowds, the coaches, my feelings, uh, my doubts, uh, those, yeah, those can really be harmful, but it's really about directing your attention to action, which is why for you those swing thoughts are are useful. Uh, there can be an overload of that too, right? Where we're no longer athletic, but we want to direct our attention to action. And that for someone might be a clearing of thoughts that might be a deep breath and go. Um, but we want to develop a process for us to think in the right way for us. And what works for you might be different than Stover. It might be different than uh, Adam Vinatieri or whoever else it might be, but you need to develop your process for what works well for you.
1: Absolutely. So and, uh,
0: take me to junior year because I know junior year is a, a special year for you. Just give us, give us the rundown junior year.
1: Yeah, sure. So junior year I played, um, I played a lot better. I went uh, 19 of 20. I missed uh, one kick from 54 yards, um, uh, won the Lou Groza for Nation's Top Kicker, and, um, yeah, kicked really well. Um, felt really good technique-wise, um, and everything just clicked that year. I, I definitely had bad practices and, and bad lead-ups to games, but uh, kicking-wise in games, I... I was ready to go, and, um, yeah, it all just sort of clicked for me.
0: So here's as an outsider what I think other people want not understand. I think you said sophomore year you went 21 to 23. Is that right?
1: 21 to 24, yeah.
0: 21 to 24. And this year you go 19 of 20. Now, math majors will say, well, that's not that big of a difference in percentage. Yet you're like, everything clicked my junior year. It all worked. Um, did you feel more competent your junior year, or – was it that you just didn't mess up twice?
1: Uh, just my um, my approach to everything. So my sophomore year, I was learning. Right, well, I'm always learning. But my sophomore year, I'm learning the basics of one how to kick because I'd only started doing that in January. So I'm still I'm still working on technique, and I'm still in junior year as well. But we can get to some of that in a bit. Um, and then my mental game. Like, I I went, well, well, yeah, 21 to 24, but everything was, like, shorter kicks. I did, had, like, one or two long ones, and that was about it. My sophomore year, I was 19 to 20, and 12 of my kicks were outside 40. So, I, it was completely different in that sense. But also, I had a plan. I, I knew who I was as a kicker. I knew my I knew my limits. I knew how far I could go, how far I couldn't. I knew what to tell coach. I knew when I went onto the field exactly what I was thinking, uh, exactly where I was going, and exactly how I was going to kick the ball. Um, In the sense of mindset, it was completely different. I was still like an infant in my sophomore year, and then my junior year, I was like confident, ready to go. I knew what I was doing, Uh, and yeah, two, yeah a couple field goals or whatever it is, percentage wise, it's what, eighty four percent compared to ninety five percent is
0: one letter grade, BA. <laughs> like
1: it's it's exactly how it is in grades. Like if you yeah. get a B, everyone's like, cool, you got a B, but you get an A A plus and it's like, yeah, you know what you're doing. So um
0: But the but the margin for error, but that's like it's like one test for you. Like that's like for school that could happen. I could get an 84 on a test and then I could get a 95 and a 92 and a 97 and my grade's going to be an A, but for a kicker, it's one, it's really like one test. Like that's, that's, it's, it's just pretty wild.
1: And then it is one test in that, but it's also like every kick is one test. If that makes sense. Cause you could screw up one time, and then it screws up your whole mark. Like, you, you can miss your first kick of the season and, and you can't go perfect that season. It's just reality. Um, so I, I missed my last kick of the season. I was 19 and 19. Um, I had a six minutes left in the last game against Syracuse. Uh, we were down by three fifty-four yarder. And, um, I had coach came up and asked me, but this, I told my distance was 49 yards that game. Uh, it was like 27 degrees, kicking into the wind. Uh, just, just a bad one, bad situation to be in. Uh, so he came up and asked me, "Can you make it?" And I "Told him I was like, if I hit a perfect ball, I can make it." And my holder said, "No, he can't make it."
0: Wow.
1: And um, we go. He Who was
0: your at, holder at the time?
1: Uh, Michael Tart. And uh, it was good. I'm glad he said that in the sense of. I should have said that to coach. Um, and, but you never want to, you never want to go into a situation thinking you can't do something. Uh, you, you, it's a 75 yard field goal. Yeah, coach, I, I can make it. It's, yeah.
0: You have to be narcissistic in that way.
1: Yeah. I have to, in, in myself, I have to tell myself I can make it because if he does put me in, I better be going in saying, yeah, I'm going to get it. Um, and I knew if I hit a perfect ball, would, I'd make it. Um, so I'm left hash. Holder told in my card. And um, we get out there and I line up. And so I'm on the left hash right. So the closest point to me is the left upright of the goals. And uh, I hadn't – warm up, I hadn't gone back that far. Like I, I didn't – I was like <laughs> – it's like – it's pretty much like a golfer. Say a golfer, he takes out his 7-iron his and he has to hit it like a driver. Right. So, I... Um, Wait,
0: I, I just because you use a golf analogy, can, is the holder like your caddy? Is that is that a fair analogy or is that taking it too far for the holder?
1: Uh, yes. I, that's how I... Especially Michael Tartt. He, he very much was for me. Uh, he was a kicker as well. So, he was awesome because he was my backup kicker and realized that I was going to start and was like, yeah, I'll do anything to help you. So for him, he understood what I needed. He understood how I how I wanted my ball, everything like that. And he just did it and was very confident in himself. So you've got a guy that's just learning how to kick with a guy that's kicked nearly his whole life, soccer player, and um, he gets it. And he gave me a constant, something that was always consistent in front of me. He, he he never missed a spot, he never gave me anything else to think about. And there was and this was, I still remember this day, we're practicing, it was, it would've been my sophomore or beginning of my junior season. And uh, he puts a hole down, I kick it, make it, crush a ball, good ball goes in. But it felt weird, I was like, you missed a spot? And he's like, no. <laughs> And it was like, he was so, he knew exactly what he was doing and he would tell me if he missed a spot and yeah. he would take the blame if it was his fault. But, um, it, I think he did that once in like three years. So he, he just, solid going and yeah. So he was my like consistent, that like, he was that guy that I always could rely on and, and was just there. I didn't have to think about it. So, yeah, he is, he is in that yeah. sense. But he's not going to go out there and say, "Oh, hit it like this or hit it like this." Like I, I, I do all that myself. I tell him where to put the ball or like everything like that. The so. reason
0: I thought about that, which I never thought of it until you said, when he told coach, "No, he can't, he can't put it there." Like I think of a caddy saying to his his guy, like, "No, that you're that's not the right play here." Like, um, and it's more look golf. There's yardage. It's 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 more. I'm not going to say complex, but
1: it's a. It's- yeah. More, there's more clubs. There's more. There's more things you've decision got to decision
0: making. More decision yeah. making,
1: and yeah, you you might hit a fade. You hit, might hit a draw. You might hit a different club two different ways. So sure. it's definitely more complex in in what you have to. And that's why you see I go out and kick for an hour, and my legs about to fall off, and I'm done. A golfer goes out there for eight hours, has to hit every club, and um, I live with a pro golfer, so. We talk about this stuff all the time. Awesome. Um, so
0: go back to that kick. So, so you're out there. You you know you have to hit it perfectly. You yeah. talking about the left? You know, looking at the left post.
1: Yeah. Uh, so left post to left post. I'm like 54 yards away. So the wind's coming to the left, and I'm I i do not even aim middle. I I still aim left. Um, just because I didn't think I was going to make the distance. If I'm honest with you, I tried to find the closest possible place I could get. And I know if I hit a pure ball, absolutely perfect, it'll go straight, the wind won't move it, and, and I'll be good. Um, so, ball gets put down. I'm jacked up. Like, I'm ready to go. And I crushed it. I missed, I missed left by an inch. Wow. And,
0: It had the distance.
1: It made the, if I had to put it four yards to the right, I would have hit the crossbar. So it was like right on it. And like I said before, my natural kick goes left a little bit, right? So even in that instance where I felt perfect about everything and everything and I really gave it to it. Now, if I'm aiming down the middle, I put it a yard to the left. Like it's – if you watch it, you would be like, oh, that ball straight down the middle. But – when the middle was down the pole and I miss by an inch, it's you're in trouble. So I came off and I wasn't annoyed because I did exactly what I wanted to do. Like you got to be realistic in, in your goals and what you set out. And say it's say it's a game winning field goal, it's a seventy yard field goal, and you miss it. Can I kick seventy yards? No. <laughs> so I can't be really jacked up and annoyed about myself because I missed something that. Wasn't physically within in my capabilities, so for me, I was annoyed in the sense that yeah, I lost a perfect record for my season, and um, but then it becomes individual, and it, and it's that doesn't mean as much. Um, so I, I think my holder was more annoyed than I was because uh, he really wanted like the perfect season and all of that, but it just it's mm-hmm. one of that- when your,
0: when your holder says no he can't how did you how did you take that like what's your what's your interpretation of when he said no you can't how did you still go out on the field and believe it, it sounds like you You kicked a great a great ball
1: yeah um i know i know my ability and he knows my ability too and he 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 would have gone crazy if i had made that like it, it it was a, it was just a tough kick. It's it's bad conditions and a tough kick, and you have to do what's best for the team. We're down three points. We probably should have gone for it. Um, and coach needs to know that. I like I know him saying that to coach was no, was he wasn't bashing me.
0: You didn't take it personally at all.
1: He it's not it's not about me. It's not about it's about the team and the team winning and.
0: But then you were able to shift. I just because I just think it's an interesting thing because a person could have heard that and be like, "God, he doesn't believe in me," or like, you know. Uh, but you you said, "Okay, I understand why he's saying that." Now I'm gonna go make this kick.
1: And it's what I not what I was thinking, but it was I knew that, and maybe I should have told Coach that. Um, but he did for it was like he did. He knew what I was doing. And I, I knew what he was doing. I, it,
0: it didn't he, affect your kick, though, which is interesting.
1: And he um, we had a, we called a timeout for it. So it wasn't like, no, he can't do it. We ran out there and I had to kick it. it yes, it might have been different then. I had a timeout. I got to – coaches like, yes, we're going to do it. I got to walk away and be like, what do I have to do? And if you had to watch me, I'm sitting there swinging my left arm across my body, like whacking myself as hard as I can. Cause I know my ball was going left and I just had to keep it there. And, um, I didn't bring it back. I needed to be like 0.001 of a second quicker with my left arm to move the ball, like two inches to the right. And I would have been good. Um, and I, I hit a great ball. (laughs) So
0: so take me to, take me to senior year. You're now, so this is where I, I met you, uh, when I was working on the football team and, um senior year was interesting for a lot of different reasons um but the most interesting thing from my perspective is that you take on this new role on your team uh you you are kicker and special teams coach um so tell me about that and what that experience was like your senior year where your special teams coach left and they don't have a, a special teams coach so a coach sort of empowers you with taking that on walk me through that experience
1: yeah, sure. I, um, so, yeah, they decided not to hire another special teams coach <laughs> beyond me. But sure. Um, and I walked into coach's office, and he's like, you got it, don't you? And I was like, <laughs> like sure. So, yeah, different year. I um, I don't even think that was the hardest part of the year. I think the hardest part was I, I lost my holder. Uh, he left. And um, I lost the putter who was um, – who was also what a close friend, but we we ran special teams for for the past couple years. He uh, I'm more of a uh, I would say like caregiver. Um, if a guy if a guy screws up, I'd come up alongside him and help him. And um, he was the one that was just like, do it this way. Like do your job. So we worked really well with each other because if there was a hard thing that needed to be said, you, I never had to worry about it. It was just, it was sad. <laughs> he just, he just said it how it was. And then I got to really build up the other guys. Um, and they, they were both him and my holder were the, there the year before me. So I still looked up to them as leaders, um, even though I'd done well. I had, I'd had a really good career there. Um, and those, and my holder, obviously he wasn't playing at all. He was just holding. They, they were still, uh, big role models, I guess, uh, of what we did at practice and, and stuff like that. So the following year, we lost our part and I lost my holder. So we bring in all these freshmen and I had to worry about these freshmen that really struggled. The putting game really, really struggled. And, um, I had to get a new holder and none of the guys knew how to hold and I ended up with a quarterback as a holder that I couldn't get enough time with. Uh, he, he was doing quarterback drills and I, the only time I got to kick with him was in period and we never got a timing, a consistency down where, where I felt really comfortable. And, um, and that's a, that's another mental game, right? Uh, the amount of times he screwed up in the game, one time, um, and I've missed three kicks. So the other two were all on me, mostly just not trusting what was being put in front of me, and um, changing my my technique, faltering because because of my preconception of of what was going to happen. So it was a rough year. I ended up uh, dislocating my hand and my thumb at the end of the season as well. So missed the last three games and just nothing seemed to work that year. Uh, team didn't do well. Head coach got fired. Pretty much everything that could have happened happened. And, uh yeah, it was just a rough year. So, um, yeah. So
0: we've learned that, A, holding is important, and, B, that you should not really be in contact sports using your arms because that's your fourth – sort of arm injury, but your legs seem to be pretty good and pretty solid. Um, Take me to what you're doing now. So uh, you graduate from Maryland. Uh, You have really an illustrious career there. Uh, One of the things you didn't talk about is you really took on a leadership role uh, your senior year, and for a kicker, I think that's somewhat rare. Um, And I I know you had a voice in that locker room and were respected. Uh, And obviously being a special teams coach, essentially, was interesting. But tell me what it's been like sort of being on your own and uh, I know you, you've been trying to make it as a professional, and uh, this is now your second year. So take me through that process and that journey and what that's been like.
1: Um, sure. Well, I ended up finishing senior year, went to the NFL Combine, uh, had an okay Combine, uh, didn't kick as well as I would have hoped, and ended up getting picked up by Cleveland on draft day. Uh, so spent spent a couple of weeks with them and, and ended up getting cut. Uh. I actually thought I kicked really well, felt really good about everything, Uh, but that's the NFL, it's just a business, and I think they brought in eight kickers that year, so (laughs) they just sort of shipped us in, shipped us out, Uh, and then after that, had workouts with Pittsburgh, Atlanta, had great workouts at both, Uh, Pittsburgh didn't end up picking anyone up, Uh, then Atlanta picked up 16-year vet, uh, Shane Graham, and we kick, kick for kick. I, I thought I did well, but obviously, when you have a guy like that, that's that's who they're going to take. So, um, did did well, kicked well at all of those things, and then sort of just waited last season, hoping hoping to get a phone call, and that was pretty hard. Mostly because all you doing, all I was doing is tra- was training and truly believing that something was going to come up, and it and it didn't. So, um, I got pretty bored. <laughs> If I'm honest with you, just didn't do much. Uh, Training tra- tra- four hours a day, and then sort of that was it. Uh, Trying to catch up with people when I could, but they're all back at school or, or in the state wherever they're living. So um, that was hard. And then came back to Australia in November last year. Uh, spent a couple months there. Uh, then came back over here. Had a had an NFL like sort of camp for free agents uh, in January then went back home for, two of my best friends got married within two weeks of each other so I got back for both of those and then came back to the States, just had another camp uh, this week and now I'm here probably I'm going to start I got Marilyn Prone in a couple weeks and then might have to get a real man's job (laughs)
0: So so it's an interesting thing. So you are trying to do something where there are only 32 people essentially uh, doing a job in the world. I mean, this isn't like, you know, there are other, there's Canadian football league. There's, there's probably other opportunities for kickers, but not like basketball where there's a ton of overseas jobs or soccer where there's the MLS and there's, you know, all these leagues all over the world, like American football, there's really limited amount of spots. And, 32 so they don't take multiples and like you said these guys will kick for 15 20 years so like really there's maybe one job a year that opens up i mean like how many we're talking about like you have to be the best in the world essentially for your age right like is that how you look at it
1: yeah that's that's exactly how it was so uh coming out of college i was top three i guess in in what i was doing and yeah, didn't did hard, didn't really get an opportunity. If if I'm honest, I, I um, it was just how it was. So, yeah, it's a tough market and it's a, it's a tough business, but you got You got to give it a crack, right? Um, if you don't do it, you're regret it for the rest of your life. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely rough. And you look at it, and you're just like, how are people even going to see you now, especially with with college being over and. Um, college was a great platform of getting looked at, and scouts always at the games, and and coaches always watching. So being out makes it makes it a little bit tougher, and that's why I've sort of done these camps. But um, yeah, I'm not really sure what what the future kind of holds in that. I um,
0: well, here's here's what I love about what I'm doing. So I'm interviewing people at the beginning of their journey the middle of their journey, the end of their journey. Um, and I just think it's interesting to get their perspectives all along that spectrum because a lot of times we are at the beginning and we we think, oh, it's this, that, and the other. And or we're in it and we're in the middle and we're like, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Or we're at the end of something and we're like looking back. So there's, I don't know where you are in your journey. It sounds like you're not sure where you are, but you've done some amazing things. And uh, I love your your drive and your determination if you're going to do something, let's go all out. Let's try to make it happen. Uh, and it it was fun getting to know you at Maryland. Uh, and, you know, I think you're going to keep on kicking until, until you can't. Um, so, you know, I love you sharing your wisdom. I know we talked a lot on the field about the mental game and I know it's something you're pretty keen on and, and enjoy talking about. And uh, I look forward to many more conversations with you uh, in the future and, and following your journey along the way. And, um, you know, hearing about all the great things you're doing with this, with this life of yours.
1: Uh, should we go?
0: All right, Brad, thanks so much for uh, coming on and uh, appreciate it, bud. No
1: worries, bud. Thanks, bud.
0: Thanks again to Brad Craddock for coming on the beyond the surface podcast. Brad's an interesting guy. He's someone who's very analytically sound. He's someone who is perceptive. He gets a good read on people. And the two of us, as I said, really enjoyed Uh, talking about the mental side of performance. A couple lessons that I'll take with me from the conversation with Brad. Number one is his persistence and calling people 50 times and trying to find a way to achieve his dreams and just believing that it's going to happen. He's a person of faith and trusting in that faith that things will work out for the best while still trying to make it a reality and make it happen. He's a pretty clear guy. He has great clarity around what he wants and, and he pursues what he wants in his life. He also has a fearlessness to him. We didn't really talk about his transition coming from Australia to the States and being thousands of miles away from his family, but I think he has a fearlessness about him that has allowed him to become a great kicker and will allow him to continue to be a great kicker. I also love his open-mindedness, his adaptability, his willingness to go get help when he knew he needed help, and his desire to be great at his craft. He's someone who's put the work in and really values the work and also the learning aspect of technique, mentality, the physical components. And he certainly had a lot of obstacles along the way. He had all kinds of injuries. Uh, He had people saying no to him. And all along the way, he kept with it and kept trying to find a solution for what he wanted to achieve. So here he is. He's at a crossroads in his career where he had a lot of success in college and really became one of the best kickers of all time at University of Maryland and in the Big Ten Conference. But he wants more. He wants to try to kick professionally, and he's exhausting all options to make that a reality, even though there are only 32 people that do that for a living. So I think one of the cool things about Brad is he's going for it. He's doing everything he can to make it a reality, but he also knows that there will become a time where if it doesn't work out, that he'll shift, and he'll adapt, and he'll adjust, and he'll come up with a better solution for his life. So I really like his honesty, while also his idea and his belief that he can achieve what he wants to if he goes for it. So he's going for it right now, and we'll see where it takes him. So I really appreciate Brad coming on and sharing his journey. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, you can follow him at Brad Crad, B-R-A-D-C-R-A-D. He's a good follow there. And uh, look forward to following Brad's journey as he continues to break, try to break through to the NFL. Thank you all for listening to the Beyond the Surface podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to these, and we will talk again real soon.